Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. Again, hope you're all well and being kind to others. I probably said this last year, but dang, where has the time gone? I always feel like time goes by super slowly when I'm living it, but now I can't even remember what happened in 2023. Okay, that's not true. I've done some pretty fun things in 2023, and I also worked a lot. Working is probably not great for our mental health, but not having money is also not great. I guess balance is key. Before we get to today's case, I wanted to be transparent with you all and let you know that I have hired a writer. And yes, they are being compensated. I'm not a monster. It's a great help for me because I'm just one person. Between my full-time job and random obligations... Writing and researching can be very tiring, and sometimes I even dread it. Will this episode sound maybe sort of different? Maybe. While I did have someone else write this episode for me, I tweaked it to make it sound more like me, as in including my annoying side comments. I added bits and pieces here and there as well. Either way, I've communicated with my writer on what I'm looking for, and so far, She has done a wonderful job. With all that out of the way, let's talk a bit about today's case. I believe this was a suggestion from a listener named Mihika, but it might have been ages ago, but just in case you're still around, thank you for the case suggestion. This is an incredibly interesting case, not just the crime itself, but the events surrounding the crime. It's almost like something you would find in a weird psychological crime novel or movie. So, family. Like Vin Diesel pointed out in the Fast and Furious movies, family is everything. Nothing is stronger than family. But is that so? We've heard so many cases involving family members killing each other for mostly terrible reasons. In episode 62, we talked about Seth Gonzalez killing his entire family. Then you have episode 43, where a man slaughters the entire Lin family, except for his niece. A common theme here is that the killings are usually done for some form of gain, whether monetary or otherwise, and the perpetrators are usually men. This case is sort of similar, 
But one big difference is that a woman is the main suspect of killing her own sister. Or rather, her daughter. It's confusing. We'll get to that later. Let's begin. Our case today starts off in the city of Shillong, located in northeastern India. Sheena Dasbora, born on February 11, 1987, and her younger brother Mikhail, were unknowingly thrown into a world of chaos. If you have ever watched Indian movies, you will know that they rarely discuss stories involving ambitious mothers, but Sheena's mother, Pari Bora, was a powerful and influential consultant and media tycoon. To better understand Sheena and what later happens to her, it's important we understand Perry first, or Indrani, as she was later known as. We will be referring to Sheena's mother as Indrani from here on out. Indrani was born in the year 1972 in the city of Guwahati, located in the state of Assam, also in northeastern India. But records were unclear, as some say she's at least seven years older than what she claims. If she was indeed born in 1972, then she must have had Sheena when she was only 15. Indrani moved to the city of Shillong for the sake of education, and it was there that she met the father of her two children. Indrani's ascent on the corporate ladder was what every career-driven woman dreamt of. Fueled by insatiable ambition, she devoted her life to become one of India's most formidable businesswoman mavens. She was the kind of woman who would do whatever it took to achieve the thing that she wanted. While I did say that Indrani may have had children in her teens, it's highly probable that these two children were the result of rape. If that were the case, I could sympathize and understand why she would want to distance herself from this situation. She was too young herself, and she also had her whole life ahead of her. The situation was unfortunate, but she also had to make a choice. Soon after Sheena and her brother Mikhail were born, Indrani left the two children with her parents, Upendra Kumar Bora and Durga Rani, while she went to find her name and fame in the bustling city of Kolkata. It's hard being a mother, and if it indeed was rape, it would be a good chance to get away from her abuser. Being a single mother is a lot, and it would be extremely difficult if you wanted to achieve success in a corporate world at the same time. Can't say if she left her kids tearfully, or if she sighed a sigh of relief. So as mentioned, Indrani was extremely ambitious and probably didn't care who she offended, as long as she got what she wanted. Because of her nature... Indrani plunged into the world of technology, which resulted in the birth of INX Services Private Limited, which then spawned INX Media and INX News, among other companies. Despite her busy schedule, she managed to put her ambitions aside for a minute, which resulted in her finding love with a man named Sanjeev Khanna in the early 90s. Together, they welcomed a daughter named Vidi in the year 1997. But life is hard people change, and the two eventually separated in the year 2002. Love would somehow find its way to Indrani's door again, but this time in the form of Peter Mukherjee. So we will eventually get to the part where you find out she's not a great person, 
but somehow these not-so-great people never have issues finding love and their partners are always sacrificing and loyal in many ways. Is it because they're more manipulative or because they're just really good at reading other people? So who is Peter? Peter is a British citizen who spent some time working in India. He was a powerful media magnate born in the UK in 1955, later on worked as the CEO at Star India for about a decade. The two quickly became a power media couple and moved to the city of dreams, Mumbai. Sheena at this point had pretty much grown up without her mother, and as a young woman, she decided to move to Mumbai as well. Perhaps to follow her mother, or perhaps to find her own opportunities. When Sheena relocated to Mumbai in 2006, oddly enough, Indrani started introducing herself as Sheena's older sister. Maybe it's an attempt to feel younger, or maybe it's to distance herself from reality, as in the rape. Either way, I can see it as a joke, but treating it as a long-running truth is a little bit odd. Would you have called her out on this? In a sense, Indrani was maybe not considered motherly to Sheena as she didn't really raise her. Sheena, though, unfazed by these lies, stayed her course and became quite the academic and earned her laurels at St. Xavier's College. Later, she worked at Reliance Infrastructure, one of the largest companies in India, before becoming an assistant manager at Mumbai Metro One in 2011. Sheena seemed to be on her own trajectory with her career, while Indrani continued to chase power and status. Both were minding their own business, so how could things end up getting ugly? Although Indrani had the boardroom confidence to navigate the corporate world, she also knew how to stir up drama. Around the year 2007, she had a pretty public falling out with the CEO of INX, after which things escalated rather quickly, with Indrani firing a handful of journalists out of the blue. This power move of hers was not as powerful as one would think, and without knowing the context, it sounds a bit like a bully move. As you'd imagine, this led to quite a few others quitting in protests because no one wants to work for an office bully. Think about how much time we spend at work, and if your boss or your coworkers make your life miserable, staying is probably a bad idea. Around the same time, whispers started circulating about some sketchy financial moves within INX Media. The gist of it was that a lot of money was being funneled around, and not all of it looked clean. Smells like dirty laundry to me. This eventually caught the attention of the Fraud Investigation Office, which raised eyebrows at some interesting share transfers. But here's where things take yet another unsurprising turn. In 2010, investigations revealed possible money laundering activities, and a surprising name popped up linked to an offshore account, Sheena Bora. Essentially, this account was used as a stash for funds siphoned off from INX Media. So, was Sheena colluding with Indrani, or was Indrani merely using her name as a scapegoat? We see this from time to time, sometimes on smaller scales, where people use someone else's identity to get credit cards and whatnot, and that person doesn't know what's going on until one day they're being investigated for not paying their debts, debts that 
they were unaware of. I remember hearing this case of a mother who used her daughter's name and racked up a ton of debt, which resulted in her daughter getting denied on loans for buying a house. It basically destroyed her life for a moment there, and she never found out until after her mother had passed away. It just shows how we can never truly know someone, even if there's someone you're supposed to trust. From the sources gathered, though, it gave an indication that Sheena may not have been aware of her mother's odd financial decisions, and even if she did consent to lending her name, she may not have been aware of how grave the situation was. If that were the case, Sheena had now become a liability. We already know bad things would end up happening and Indrani would be exposed, so here's the general facts of what happened to Sheena Bora in the year 2012. On April 24th, she took a day off from work and, out of the blue, she resigned. While that's not impossible, it's technically a weird thing to do and out of character. Later that same day, her boyfriend Rahul, who was also her stepbrother, received a breakup text from her phone. Yes, I hear you. Her stepbrother is her boyfriend. Is that weird? I mean, they're not related by blood. Indrani is probably just his father's wife, and his biological father is Peter. Highly doubt he adopted Sheena as his daughter, so while it's weird that she's dating her stepbrother, it's not incest. But at this point, people began to worry about Sheena because she kind of just left. Not just her job, but her boyfriend. Did she somehow snap? Was she looking to run away from something? Or was it something out of her control? Indrani, the drama queen we all do not love, decided to throw in her own twist, saying that Sheena had flown off to the U.S. in pursuit of a higher education, which is why she never bothered to file a missing persons report. Maybe because he was her stepbrother, or maybe more likely because he was her boyfriend, Rahul wasn't buying the story. Understandably, he was pretty adamant about getting some answers, so he did what any concerned boyfriend would do. He involved the police. When they paid a visit to Indrani's residence in Worley, Mumbai, they were told Indrani was out of the country. Once Indrani returned and heard the police were looking for her, she reached out and turned the tables yet again painting Rahul as the obsessive ex, alleging that he was stalking Sheena, which was the supposed reason Sheena left for the U.S. without telling him. Does this happen? Yes, but is it likely in this scenario? Let's proceed and see what else we have. Fast forward a bit, and a surprise tip-off to Mumbai police led to Indrani being put under heavy surveillance. After four months of following her, the first significant breakthrough came with the arrest of Indrani's driver, Rai. But this was not for Sheena's disappearance or possible murder, but for illegal weapons possession. When he was brought in, Rai decided he could play this one of two ways. Plead guilty to illegal weapons possession, or strike a deal by giving them the bigger fish and weasel his way out. Thankfully, he decided to go with the latter. He informed the police that Sheena wasn't missing, or in the U.S. She was actually dead. After a little more digging, 
Sheena's biological brother, Mikhail, told the police that Indrani wasn't Sheena's sister, but her mother. This was probably surprising, and if Indrani would lie about this and play into it, could she be capable of lying about other things? Sure, it's quite different lying about your age and your relationship to your daughter as opposed to, say, murder. But you never know. Soon after, Rai's story began to make even more sense. His narration of the events to the police was straight out of a crime thriller. He said Indrani, along with her ex-husband, Kana, who was also father to her other daughter, Vidi, meticulously planned the murder. On that fateful evening in April 2012, Kana flew to Mumbai, where he met Rai and Indrani in the hotel he was staying at. Indrani had asked Sheena to meet up with them that evening for something, and although Sheena wasn't super interested, she agreed. Six o'clock came, and the group met up with Sheena. While Indrani was in the passenger seat up front, right beside Rai, Sheena was in the back with Kana. According to Rai, they drove her to a secluded lane in Bandra, a suburb along the coast, where Kana then strangled her. They then took the body to Indrani's Worley house, about 50 minutes away, and shoved her into a bag, which was left stored in the car's trunk. Kana then went on back to his hotel, Indrani returned to her house, and the driver, Rai, was ordered to sleep in the car, with Sheena's body in the trunk. As if all that wasn't bad enough, Rai continued on with more details of the aftermath. He explained that the next morning, they decided it would be wise to make it look like Sheena was still alive, just in case they passed the police or something. What's more sketchy, a body in a trunk, or a person looking kind of unconscious in the back seat? So they propped up Sheena's lifeless body in the car between Indrani and Kana, then drove to a forest in Raigad. This was not exactly a random area, as Rai explained that Indrani had gone scouting days before they killed Sheena, presumably looking for the perfect dump spot. Once they arrived, they dragged her body out, put it back into the bag, doused it with gasoline, and set it on fire. Soon after the revelations, Arrests started rolling in. Indrani was arrested first, followed by her ex-husband, Kana. Later on, Peter, her current husband, also found himself in handcuffs, not just for Sheena's murder, but also for some shady company funds that were allegedly funneled into a Singaporean bank account under Sheena's name. Was Peter actually involved in all of this, though? His son was dating Sheena, I would think he would have thought twice about doing anything incriminating. Maybe he did think twice, but just not hard enough. In the meantime, about a month after Sheena was murdered, a very badly burnt body of a young woman was found in the Raiga district. There's some weird time discrepancy here. Let me explain. The testimony given by Rai, as mentioned earlier, was provided in August of 2012. Sheena went missing in April of 2012. If Sheena's body was discovered in May, as in way before his confession, how does that work? According to news reports from the New Delhi television website, it was definitely her, except they didn't know it was her at the time. The police instead, quote, dismissed the body as unclaimed and buried it without a forensic examination, unquote. Now knowing what they know, the body was excavated and later corroborated by the All India Institute of Medical Sciences after an examination. 
it was definitely Sheena. The medical report, which is part of the CBI's charge sheet, was based on many different parameters of the recovered body, including height, age, and sex, which were all consistent with known information of Sheena Bora. Not only that, it also matches with what Wright told the police. That should make it an easy case to prosecute, right? But it wouldn't be until three years later in 2015 that justice would come. Kind of. After Ndrani, Kana, and Rai's arrest, the accused were taken to the crime scene and told to reenact the events of the night that led to Sheena's tragic end. The plot thickened in September 2015 when a man named Siddhartha Das, a resident of Kolkata and the supposed former partner or abuser of Indrani, came forward with a staggering confession that he was Sheena Bora's biological father. With so many facets and potential angles to explore, the case was handed over to the Central Bureau of Investigation, which promptly lodged an investigation against the trio, Indrani, Kana, and Rai. When the trial began, it was anything but straightforward. What should have been a simple open-and-shut case ran into several complications, not helped by the confusing family ties of the Bora and Mukherjee families. It began with a load of circumstantial evidence. So, as per the prosecution's narrative, Indrani was the last to see Sheena alive. They argued, and Indrani had more than one motive for wanting Sheena dead. Facing financial troubles, Indrani allegedly feared her daughter would become a financial burden, or perhaps expose her mother for her financial indiscretions. Then, there was a case of Sheena's evolving relationship with her stepbrother. Not sure how that plays into it, but it was rumored that Indrani was not a fan of this relationship, as it could perhaps complicate her relationship with Peter. This was interesting because Sheena's biological brother, Mikhail, was aware of their relationship and didn't seem to mind. He came forward later on and told his version of what he knew. He said that after Sheena moved to Mumbai and began staying with Indrani, the mother-daughter relationship began to deteriorate and the two were constantly arguing. Apparently, Indrani favored her second daughter, Vidi, and refused to let Sheena call her her mother which sort of explains the sister thing. Another thing that caused tension between the two was her relationship with Rahul. Mikhail's statement read, quote, Indrani kept pressurizing and threatening that if I did not ask Sheena to break off the relationship with Rahul, then she would suspend monetary support to our grandparents, unquote. Pretty low move on her part. What's even stranger is that Mikhail was kind of there when the supposed murder took place. He was summoned by Indrani to go to Mumbai on the day of Sheena's murder. He arrived at the airport, but his mother was unable to pick him up, so he was told to find his way to her house. He got there, but no one was home, so he waited. It wasn't until 10pm when his mother, Kana, and Rai returned. He said he had felt uneasy, but wasn't sure why. They began to give him a lot of alcohol and coupled with his feelings of unease, he had a terrible sleepless night. The following morning, his mother left in a hurry, telling him to stay home and to take it easy. His feelings of unease never went away, so he decided he had to get out of there. 
After Ndrani found out that he had left early, she was upset at him, but he didn't care. Now that he thought back on that day, he came to the conclusion that, perhaps, his mother wanted to kill him as well. The case was further bolstered by the presence of Rai and Kana, her former spouse and her driver. Both men confessed their role in the murder of Sheena and pointed the accusatory finger towards Indrani, painting her as the puppeteer behind the curtain. To cement their argument, the prosecution revealed call records that showed Indrani's communications with both Bry and Kana on that day, seemingly lending weight to the testimonies of the two men. But of course, even if they weren't the masterminds, they technically had a choice to not participate either, right? So while it's great that they told the truth, it doesn't really cleanse them of any guilt. The narrative spun by the prosecution swayed the lower court, resulting in a verdict. So on August 25, 2015, Indrani was officially arrested and charged by the Mumbai police. But not for long, because again, there is no happy ending where the victim gets justice. In 2019, Indrani and Peter decided to sever their marital ties and were granted a divorce. Peter found reprieve in March 2020 as he was granted bail by a special CBI court. Indrani, on the other hand, repeatedly pleaded for bail and faced a brick wall with the special CBI court, turning her down time and time again. In August of 2021, the CBI chose to close further investigations into the murder case, but Indrani's fight for freedom was far from over. She filed a bail plea with the Supreme Court in February 2022, a plea which prompted the Apex Court to seek a response from both the CBI and the Maharashtra government. Despite the CBI's strong opposition, the Supreme Court granted her bail in May of 2022. But why? Why was Indrani let out after having murdered her own child, even after getting convicted? Let's turn the clock back a little bit to the year 2015. While Indrani was serving out her time behind the cells of a prison, Indrani penned a surprising letter addressed to the director of the CBI. In this letter, she managed to capture the attention of those reading it. Sheena Bora, the very person she was accused of murdering, might still be alive. While in prison, Indrani supposedly met a woman who claimed to have encountered Sheena Bora in Kashmir, which is about 1,500 miles north of Mumbai. This revelation prompted Indrani to appeal to the CBI, urging them to initiate a search for Sheena in hopes of uncovering the truth behind the enduring mystery. A detective came and knocked on the door. And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to Season 2 of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, 
Did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Not one to take no or silence as an answer, Indrani continued to file for bail until the Supreme Court granted it in 2022. Their decision, though, wasn't really affected by the letter, but by several other points. If you think about it, Sheena's body was already found, right? And everyone's testimony corroborated the evidence. So what could have changed the minds of the Supreme Court? First, the court didn't believe that the prosecution had presented a compelling enough case against her. Delving into the details, the court determined that the evidence presented did not conclusively establish Indrani as the person who strangled Sheena. There was also no direct proof tying her to the crime other than the word of the driver. Adding to the court's consideration was Indrani's steadily worsening health, exacerbated by her ailments, which included diabetes and hypertension. With over five years of incarceration and a visibly deteriorating health, her condition played a major part in the court's decision. It is worth noting that the Indian legal framework is rooted in the principle that dates back centuries. A person is innocent until proven guilty which I believe most of us find reasonable. Therefore, the court deemed that the prosecution had failed to prove Indrani's guilt beyond a shadow of a doubt. Adding to that is the inherently liberal nature of India's bail system. These rights are held pretty sacred, and bail, in many ways, is an extension and safeguard of those fundamental entitlements. Many others, though, as in the public, saw Andrani's release as a glaring shortcoming of the justice system, accusing the court of failing the memory of Sheena. This entire ordeal not only kindled questions about the Indian judicial system, but also spurred a broader discussion on the treatment of women entangled in the criminal justice framework. Andrani went on to write a book called Unbroken, surrounding the events since Sheena's death, and went on a press tour. She insists that the book is not her version, but the truth, a.k.a. the only version of the facts. But in her numerous interviews, people have pointed out some inconsistencies. Here are some quotes picked out from an interview. Quote, One thing is very clearly established that Sheena was definitely alive and well after that alleged date of her disappearance. Unquote. Definitely? I wouldn't be so sure of that. Quote, my instinct at the moment, you know, I still feel somewhere she's out there somewhere. Okay, this is my instinct, unquote. Instincts can be wrong, but who am I to say that? 
Quote, Of course I had. I loved her. I mean, I still obviously love her. I love all my children. Unquote. That little slip-up, the past tense, I loved her, sounded alarm bells for some people. Why would she say that if she felt that Sheena was still out there? I always see this when people are arguing about one's guilt, but I don't necessarily think it's a true indication of guilt. Is it odd? Yeah, it could be. Even if a parent loses a child, they may still choose to say, I love them, in present tense, rather than in the past tense. I sometimes catch myself saying things in past or present tense when I didn't mean to. In this case, though, I get that it sounds ultra-suspicious because of all the evidence piled up against her, despite the court saying that it's not solid enough. But let's not forget that Indrani is basically a media tycoon, and while a regular person making these mistakes can be understandable, it's hard to imagine someone like her making that mistake. Especially since she's probably been rehearsing her lines in her head since she was arrested. While it's hard to say whether Sheena will ever get justice or if more evidence will come to light, we do hope that Indrani will continue to tour India promoting her book. Because, who knows, she just might slip up again or trust the wrong person. If she did indeed kill her daughter and covered it up, she's now using her daughter's murder as a way to gain money. If that's not gross... I don't know what is. So what the hell is Indrani up to now, aside from her book tours? She seems pretty active on social media, and if I'm allowed to say, she appears to be rather vain. Her book cover is of her own face. She has multiple posts with her face on it, doing interviews, showing her signing her book, etc. While all her posts are open to comments, they have been limited. My guess is that she's tired of naysayers, so she only keeps the positive ones. If I had to describe her, she comes off at first glance as a socialite. In one of her very lengthy Instagram posts, she wrote, quote, Last night I stayed awake and kept thinking about the corridors of the Baikula under trial prison. My heart was filled with empathy for the innocent women in captivity. The suffocation of being in prison incarcerated for something you haven't done is hell of a kind I wish upon nobody, but I can't deny in my darkest days I found inner peace too. Unquote. Even when her daughter was dead and she was the main suspect, she still managed to make it all about herself. So there you have it. The kind of solved but also kind of unsolved murder of a young woman, only 25 years of age. Suspected killer, her own mother, though her mother denies killing her, and even denies being her mother, which could be linked to how Sheena was conceived. Her actions have not really been motherly during the time Sheena was alive, and even though Sheena's body was discovered, she has continued to deny any involvement, continuing to give out false leads, saying that Sheena is alive somewhere. How do you weigh in on Indrani's guilt or innocence? If Indrani didn't murder her and Sheena is, in fact, just missing, where is she? When considering Indrani's role, it's hard to ignore her behavior during the trial and her media encounters, almost demonstrating an insatiable thirst for the limelight. Yes, her actions often paint the portrait of a highly questionable character, but does that really make her a murderer? 
It could very well be that she just finds comfort in attention, innocent or not. Let's also not forget that many studies indicate that one out of five CEOs are either psychopaths or have psychopathic traits. That's not to say they're all bad, because sometimes these traits can lead to company growth and stuff like that. But it can also make the lives of those around them miserable. Not my study, just telling you what I found online. I also want to point out that while rape may have taken place while Indrani was a child, it does not really justify the probable murder of her own daughter, who I believe is innocent in this whole entire mess. But sometimes, trauma leads to more trauma. It's hard to tell what's fact or fiction, as there are lots of contradictions, so it would be a good idea to keep an open mind. Thank you all for tuning in to this kind of messy episode. And remember, be careful of who you trust. I don't want you to be paranoid, but just, you know, be safe. Keep your eyes open. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.